everybody, this is Steve. Welcome to This Good Word, episode six. The word today is run. I want to talk about running your race, the one that's right in front of you. I want to talk about doing the hard thing that you think you can't possibly do. I want to talk about putting one foot in front of the other and keeping on going. I want to talk about enduring, about what happens inside of you and inside of me and around all of us when we decide to keep going, to keep running our race. Not talking about just soldiering on in a race that's not yours, but I am talking about running your race. So this podcast is for anybody who is going through a hard thing, who needs to reach down and find some endurance, who needs to find that thing that's out there or in here that will help them keep going. This podcast is also dedicated to my friends from Genesis Covenant Church. We are running the marathon this Sunday, October 4th. We're running with Team World Vision to raise uh, money to get clean water in communities around Africa. Uh, We are excited. We are scared. But I want to dedicate this podcast to my friends Steve, Heidi, Scott, Julie, Molly, Becky, John, Jared, Nikki, and Betsy, who's doing the 10-mile Uh, You guys are amazing. We are in it together, and I can't wait to don that that orange World Vision jersey and get out there and do it this Sunday. The weather looks absolutely gorgeous for the run. All right, before we get to episode six, some shout-outs. This Monday, just a few days ago this week, I was out running around Rice Lake in Maple Grove where I live, and I ran into Holly, and it was so awesome. Holly attends a church I used to work at, and she stops and looks at me and goes, oh my gosh, I'm listening to your podcast right now. (laughs) So we stopped and we talked, and it was so awesome to kind of catch up and hear about her and her husband, Jim, and uh, some other people that we know. And so just thank you, Holly. Thank you for encouraging me. Thank you for helping me feel not alone. Thank you for uh, listening to the podcast while you run. That's really what I hope. I hope you guys, uh, listeners out there, are listening to this uh, at moments in your week where it really helps you. Maybe it's driving to work. Um, Maybe it's first thing in the morning. Maybe it's last thing at night, but during a time that is fun and helpful for you. So shout out to Holly. Also to Alex in Minneapolis. Alex. My friend Alex, you uh, work at this great restaurant called Victory 44, but you are an artist and you have put out some very, very beautiful and amazing art, one of which you shared with me. Uh, You titled it Human and Holy, and I thought it was just spectacular. So Alex, thank you very much. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, And some shout outs to some listeners. Australia is picking up steam. A bunch of you are listening in in Australia. I've never been down under. So uh, maybe someday, you guys, I would love to meet some of you if I'm ever down there. Also, some new listeners in the Dominican Republic, in Hungary, in the Ukraine, and in Poland. 
hello, everybody, uh, this good word making it all around the world. And I say that and I was like, I sort of feel lame saying that, like, am I tooting my own horn? And maybe I am. I, I, I don't know. But mostly I'm saying just, just to let people know we are in it together and there's just a whole community, a whole tribe that's being raised up around the world that's really interested in reclaiming what's holy about our humanity, about taking a look at who we actually are, all the mess, all the beauty, the saint and sinner inside of each of us and saying it is good. So there you go. There's the shout outs. Let's dive into episode six run. So anytime anyone sets out to do a hard thing, like maybe lose some weight or maybe have a baby or maybe work on your issues, maybe you're seeing a counselor, uh, maybe it's fighting cancer, uh, maybe your marriage is struggling and you've just decided to go see a marriage counselor. Maybe you've decided to do a big project like write a script or write a book or make a movie or uh, start the artist way because you wanna work on a project. Maybe you've gone back to school to get a degree. Maybe you've decided it's time to uh, say no to an addiction and to join an AA group or something else. Whatever it is, when you've set out to do a hard thing, I think at first we're buoyed up by this boundless determination. We've set a goal, we wanna work on it, we wanna do it, we start strong. And at some point along the way, we get exhausted and all the trying hard kind of runs out. Have you ever been there? When again, you're losing weight, you're working on your marriage, you're working on your issues, and uh, you hit a point where that steely-eyed determination no longer works and you need to find something that's gonna be a little bigger, a little deeper, a little truer than just grit to make it. because you're exhausted. And then when you move past the exhaustion and you're still going, you start to get an overwhelming desire for carbs, right? (laughs) I get an amen on that. That donut's looking great. Those chips are looking great. You just want to slather bread with butter and eat it until you die. Uh, And then you have this overwhelming desire to just quit. It sounds like the stupidest thing you've ever done in your life, this thing that you're working on. Again, maybe it's training for a marathon, losing weight, working on your marriage, working on your addiction. Uh, you want to quit. It is it, The whole idea of why you ever started to work on this in the first place is starting to sound like the most ridiculous thing that you have ever done in your life. And you don't know why you're still doing it. You have no more motivation, but you somehow find yourself putting one foot in front of the other. You don't quit. You keep going. Maybe it's a timely conversation with a friend. Maybe it's a quote that you read in a book. Maybe it's a random intersection with a stranger, but you find the energy to at least go one more day. And then I think when you push past that part, you find something in yourself that you didn't know you had. And that's what I want to talk about today, that beautiful and expansive part of you that gets formed in you when you decide that you're going to continue to run 
your race, whatever it is. Now, again, I'm not talking about running someone else's race. I'm not talking about keeping up with the Joneses. I'm not talking about just churning and burning when you have no real reason to. But I am talking about running your race, the one that's right out in front of you, the one that really matters to you, that one that is going to make a difference in your life and in the lives of the world, uh, the people around you, if you decide to push past those levels of exhaustion and you know those, that carb craving and the times where you just want to quit, if you don't quit, you're going to find something that you didn't know you had. So uh, for about seven long years, from about the year 2000 to 2007, my wife Mary and I struggled with infertility. So we waited five years to even try to have kids because we were a little ambivalent about the whole thing anyway. And we also wanted time. You know, I was 25 when we got married. Mary was almost 22. And we were young and we wanted time to play and become and figure life out before we tried to have kids. And we sort of just figured out or, or we, we assumed that uh, once we started having kids, maybe it would take a couple months, but then we would pretty soon have kids. Uh, so we tried and people got pregnant around us and we kept trying and we kept th going through the cycle of hope and then despair. And it's a th about a 30 day cycle. Sometimes it's 28, sometimes it's 32, sometimes it's 33. And if you've been through infertility, you know exactly what I mean. When you hit that, you're late, you're a day, your wife's a day late, you're late, you're two days late, you're three days late, and you start to hope. You start to imagine what this baby's going to be like once you hold that baby. You start to feel feelings that, okay, am I, am I, am I getting nauseous? Am I, are these the feelings of pregnant? I'm, I'm sure I'm pregnant. I remember one time, it was like day 35 of Mary's cycle, and we were planning. I mean, we were positive. This was it. This was going to be it. And then it came. And with it, and you know what it is if you are, if you have ever gone through in, infertility, and your hopes plummet, and you sink into a kind of despair, and you aren't sure what you're going to do, and you don't know if you want to keep going with this, and you cry or you throw dishes against the wall or you yell angry threats in your mind to every friend that you have that is suddenly announcing their pregnancy after one month of trying, and it is really, 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 really hard. Well, we went through that for seven years. We had every possible test that you could take. Both of us did. Mary had countless needles stuck into her. I had really super embarrassing trips to the hospital. I remember one time, this was pretty early on when, you know, I had to get tested and I went to the hospital and I was a, I was a pastor at this time. I've been a pastor for 20 years. And I just, uh, <laughs> I had just done the test and I had a paper bag in my hand, taking the walk of shame down to the little shelf where you were supposed to put it on. And I ran into this couple that was holding their little newborn baby, maybe six weeks old, in their car car carrier, in their car seat, and they from my church. And they said, Steve, what are you doing here? And it's like, are you kidding me? What am I doing here? It's like I'm, I'm meeting someone for breakfast. I mean, what am I doing here? 
seven long years of infertility. I remember one time, uh, this was several years into it, and I asked Mary, or someone asked Mary, are you angry at God? You know, because you're not pregnant. And she goes, honestly, I'm not angry at God, but I'm really angry at pregnant women. <laughs> and I just have always loved that. Uh, infertility is brutal. It is um, lonely. It is then the cycle of hope and despair will almost take you out. It is a kind of marathon of hope and despair. And it was our journey for so many years. And of course, you know, now we have an eight-year-old and two six-year-olds and our life is really, really full. But the journey that we've taken, that we did take in infertility, through infertility, uh, was really, really long. And there was just so many days where it was just putting one foot in front of the other and it was grueling and uh, it was really, really, really hard. And I do liken it to a marathon. Anything that you're going through where you've made it past the first determination stage and then exhaustion, then this overwhelming desire for carbs and to just quit, uh, it's like a marathon and you go through all these stages and uh, when you get uh, long enough in whatever race that is out in front of you right now, uh, you will hit a point where you want to quit and when it's just one foot in front of the other. So, uh, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm running an actual, actual marathon along with my friends this Sunday, and I've run a bunch of marathons. And a few years ago, I wrote a blog post about what it's like to run a marathon really and why I run them. So I want to read this. For those of you who are running a marathon this Sunday, but I also want to read it for anyone who is at that point of running your race where it feels almost impossible to keep putting one foot in front of the other. So I titled this, There Is More, and I'd like to read it to you now. It was first published on my blog at steveweens.com. So here it goes. Everyone who has run a marathon insists that the marathon is really two races, the first 20 miles and the last 6.2. During the first 20 miles, assuming you have adequately trained, your body does what you have prepared it to do. At mile 10, you wonder why you don't run marathons every day of your life. Thousands of people shout your name. Cowbells echo the clarion call of your own personal greatness endorphins pulse through your body and the road floats beneath you as you glide through the miles with effortless joy. At mile 15, your legs begin to feel fatigued, but you still enjoy the race. I've even had deliriously happy moments at this phase of the race when I felt sad about the inevitable finish line looming in the distance. I didn't want it to end. But at mile 20, it all begins to change. The glycogen in your body is rapidly diminishing. What used to be a slight ache in your hips is now constant and sharp, as if you are missing some essential lubricant without which you will grind to a halt in a heap of smoke and bones and pain. The bottoms of your feet, which used to feel fluid and graceful, are now made of iron. They're heavy and they clang in protest with every foot strike. If the first 20 miles are mostly physical, the last 6.2 are all mental. 
Fans lining the sides of the course noticing your obvious pain will shout encouraging banalities like, you're almost there, even though you know that you're nowhere near the end. Your mind and your body are now engaged in a full-scale war. Your body demands that you quit this foolish, meaningless quest. I've run 10 marathons and I cannot recall even once when I did not desperately want to quit somewhere between mile 20 and the finish. In the last two miles of the race, your focus narrows. You feel every stab of pain. Your brain is foggy with dehydration and the blister on the back of your heel is now open and raw and you can't believe you haven't seen the mile 25 marker yet. You convince yourself that in your state of semi-delirium, you must have missed it. But something inside you knows that you have not. Mile 25 is a torture chamber, but as you creep by the mile marker, you realize that you are going to finish. Though the pain continues to increase, your mind has conquered and your body has given in. You know that you are going to finish. I've run one particular marathon, the Twin Cities Marathon, nine times, so I know every step of the route intimately, especially the last 1.2 miles. At mile 26, the runners turn slightly left, crest a gentle hill, then the finish line comes into view. In that moment, a wash of emotion comes over me that causes me to weep. By some act of exquisite grace on the part of the course planners, these last two-tenths of a mile are mostly downhill, and sometimes I draw on the last drips of, uh, drips of glycogen that remain in my body and attempt to sprint down that hill and across that mat, signifying that the race has ended and I have endured. I do not run for the medals, for the t-shirts, for the accolades from friends, or because I'm addicted to competition. I run marathons because of what is forged in the crucible of those last painful miles of the marathon. When I fear that there is nothing left, there is more. There is more. So maybe you are experiencing constant and sharp pain in whatever race that's out in front of you. Maybe you're thinking and feeling like you're missing something essential in your body that you need desperately to keep on going. Maybe you're feeling alone, like no one really knows what you're going through. Maybe your cravings for carbs, booze, banana nut muffins, or anything to numb the pain is getting so amazingly huge and you don't know how you're going to make it one more step. Well, I want to tell you right now that there is more. Right now, in the middle of your race, at the point at which you want to quit, you are being met by the generative force that put all things in motion in the first place. The God that knows your name also sees your pain. The God that knows your name also sees your pain, and that God has eyes on you right now. And it is a beautiful thing to know that you are not alone. There's a woman in our church, her name is Carol. She's about 72 years old. Carol has buried three husbands. She has MS. She recently had a stroke and most of the time is in a wheelchair now. 
But whenever I see Carol, I get a huge hug and I give her a huge hug. She always calls me honey and sweetie and she is hilarious. I mean hilarious. I love Carol. And she is continuing to live her life one foot in front of the other. She has had countless setbacks, countless disappointments. I mean, can you imagine burying three husbands? And yet, when she shows up to our little church, she shows up and receives hugs, receives joy. She gives hugs. She gives joy. She does not mask her pain when she's in it. She's amazing. I have another friend named Jenny. I just had coffee with Jenny yesterday. Hi, Jenny. So fun to be with you yesterday. I actually hope, uh, and we actually talked about it, we're going to interview Jenny on this good word in the next few months. But Jenny was born with cerebral palsy, which is a kind of disability that makes your uh, muscles involuntarily clench up. Some people with cerebral palsy cannot walk. Many can't. Some can't talk. Jenny can both talk and walk. She's an extremely intelligent and gifted person. She's a writer. She wrote a book called uh, Walking with Tension, and it is such a beautiful memoir. I encourage all of you to buy it, to read it. Uh, It's a book about her journey with cerebral palsy and her journey. uh, She went to all these faith healers growing up, and she was never physically healed of her CP. But her journey now includes, she's a librarian at an elementary school, and so she helps all kinds of kids, many of whom have disabilities of their own. And she helps to see them, to know them, to point out the fact that they are beautiful and they have lots and lots of life in them. Uh, She meets with a guy who has pretty extreme CP, and she hangs with him. He can't talk, he can't walk, but he can communicate to her through a very slow uh, hand sign language, and she watches Vikings games with him. Jenny is my hero. Jenny's one of the most amazing, resilient people who has spent her entire life putting one foot in front of the other, and I cannot wait for you to hear her story here in the next uh, few weeks and months here on This Good Word. So there is this passage in the New Testament from Hebrews, and we don't know who wrote Hebrews, there are some there is some speculation that because the author is unknown that it was perhaps Priscilla a female leader in the church in the early days i don't know if it was that some people say it was paul many people say it could not have been paul based on the writing style it doesn't matter uh but there comes a moment in hebrews 12 where there's these two verses that i'm going to read to you and the two verses uh talk about running your race and having endurance but before we get to that uh, we read about these saints, these faithful, ordinary people that struggled, struggled through mockery and whippings and torture, people who were imprisoned, even sawn in two. I mean, unbelievable. People that walked around in sheepskins and goatskins, people that were penniless and afflicted, but they kept walking their race towards God, towards each other, towards the world, and then what the writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. She, or he, writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, these people, 
these witnesses who were in mockery, whippings, torture, imprisoned. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, maybe you freak out at the word Jesus. Maybe you don't believe in Jesus. Maybe you don't believe in God. Uh, frankly, I, I'm, I'm going to say put that on hold for right now if, if you don't. And just say, what if there is a person and there is a generative force in the universe who is running your race with you, who is helping you to endure? It's interesting, the word author is the Greek word, um, I'm sorry, not author, uh, the founder, the word founder there. It's translated author in different translations. It's a Greek word, archagos, and it's this sailing term where if a ship was foundered on the rocks and the waves were crashing over it and people were about to die and we didn't know how the people were going to get to be on shore, there would be uh, an archagos, a person that would tie a rope around his uh, midsection, and he would swim out to shore, and the rest of the people on the on the boat would follow that rope into shore. It'd be a safe way to get to shore, clinging to the rope. But there needed to be this first person, this archegos, that would go first. And so there's this picture of the God of the universe saying, "I have run my race." The one that was set out before me, Jesus, the uh, this person who dove in the water and attached a rope so that other people could uh, go to safety along the same route that he was brave enough to go first. The word, isn't that great? I mean, archagos, it's such a great phrase and picture. And then the word surrounded is this Greek word, kami, and it means to be encircled by or to be enclosed around all these people, all the people that have gone before you, all the people that have endured their race before you, those people are not just waiting ahead of you. They're actually surrounding you, cheering you on. The word run is a Greek word, trachot. It means to spend one's strength in performing or attaining something, to spend your strength in running your race, whatever it is, whether it be weight loss or addiction or marriage counseling or uh, writing a book or writing that script, making that film, working through your issues, whatever it is, what would it mean to spend your strength being surrounded by these people who have gone before you, following the path of the archegoth, and then having endurance, hupomona, means a patient, steadfast waiting for. Endurance means to be steadfast, waiting for that strength that will come at just the moment that you need it. I was recently at an event, a party, and I ran into this couple that was there. And many years before, I was working with this couple who uh, were, man, their marriage was in trouble. And they were fighting, they were trying to work it out, but it was looking really, really desperate. And um, I think they both thought it was over. But they kept putting one foot in front of the other and they kept moving toward each other and at this event there they were there with their kids and I kind of just smiled at them from afar and I thought about and I remembered the race that they had to run and it was tough and they went through the determination the exhaustion the desire for carbs and every other 
you know, chemical that would help them. Uh, and that part where they just wanted to quit. And then because they didn't quit, something was formed in them, an endurance. They were met by the God that was the Archegos that went first. And an endurance was formed in them that is going to help them live the rest of their lives. So friends, whatever it is, Whatever it is that you are running, whatever race you have, whether it's the actual marathon, maybe you're listening to it right now. Maybe you put this on a playlist that would come up when you're running mile 25 and 26, you're going to finish. You need to know that there is more inside of you, that the Archegos, the creator and sustainer of the universe is running towards you and running with you no matter what race that is set in front of you. If you want to quit, if you're desperate to quit, my word for you is keep going because there is more. Can I get an amen? We are human and holy. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. And friends, we are in this together. Hey, I want to leave you with what's blowing my mind this week. And it's actually a quote that my friend Brian Mogren from Minneapolis sent me via Facebook. It was so great. And I thought of you all. I thought about this journey that we're all on, about reclaiming what's holy about our humanity. And this quote is from Dr. David Benner. Benner has written many books so, so good. The gift of being yourself is maybe his best one. But this quote is from David Benner. Thank you, Brian. Brian has his own journey. He moved to North Minneapolis. He started this amazing house. Uh, man, what a guy. So Brian, hats off to you. But Brian sent this quote to me and a few others by David Benner. I want to leave you with it. And I quote, courage is an essential part of living an authentic life. It takes courage to allow one's ego to atrophy and to risk the unknown path of finding and living the truth of one's own being. It takes courage to accept oneself in spite of feeling unacceptable. And it takes courage to make commitments and run the risk of being free. But if the price of courage seems too high, consider the alternatives, end quote. Grace and peace, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this good word. I will see you next week. I'll give you an update on how the marathon went, and I will uh, enjoy that immensely. In it together, everybody. See you next week.